0: Well, wow, uh, so, so this morning as we're singing about being children of God, what an incredible transformation that has occurred when you know Jesus Christ, that we're no longer strangers or aliens. Uh, we talked about this at camp over the week, but we, in Ephesians 2 it says that we are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Uh And as we're looking at 2 Peter this morning, I think that's one of the truths that Peter communicates. And what's really interesting about this this second letter to the church is uh, there's some things that are happening in Peter's life. Most likely, he wrote this the last year of his life when he was under extreme duress because of King Herod's reign, and uh, I'm sorry, King Nero, and uh, Nero was ruling about this time, and it was probably around 67 that Peter wrote this to the church. Uh, Nero, uh, his reign ended in 68 A.D., and so you can imagine as Peter is suffering, being persecuted, tradition has it that he was actually crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified like his Savior. and He didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner. So here he is writing this letter. And I want to ask you to turn to chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through th- 3. And this won't be on the screen, but I think this is a good reason, uh, that, that kind of a summary of why Peter writes this second book. Uh, the second letter. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, "...but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words." Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Whoa. Those are some really bold words about some people that were coming in and taking advantage of the church. And so Peter's message is how do we help, uh, or I think his thought process is how do I help the church stand against those heresies, those that are going to be coming in trying to deceive, they're going to lead people astray. And so he begins this letter with an incredible picture, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is how do we, who we are in Christ, children of God, live supplemental lives, okay? What does it mean to be supplemental in our living in relationship with Christ? So I'm going to explain all that stuff as Peter looks at this. So look at this, um, let's read this text, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through 15, and Caitlin, if I didn't give you all those verses, no worries, okay? I did, okay, good. So, First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter, Second Peter, Second Peter, Second Peter. And I'll probably say that Paul wrote this letter. I know that Peter wrote it. I just get those things, when you talk out loud long enough, you're going to make mistakes. Will you all forgive me already ahead of time? Thank you, because I'm not trying to teach heresy or blaspheme. These are just mistakes. Because my mind is thinking about a million miles an hour. And I know my mouth, uh, y'all wish I could keep up with my mind, maybe. But I will talk fast, maybe. Talk fast at camp this week, didn't I, sometimes? Yeah, it was crazy. So I'm going to try to keep on track. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things." Wow, what a great message that Peter gives. Now what I think I, the Lord has laid on my heart um, for us this week are some really simple truths. But I think it's part of this uh, tie into to what even we did in worship. Is that as children of God, God has granted us some things. Isn't that cool? And when you think about who your children are and what they will inherit from you, that is a granting of, the, of things to them. And so God has granted us some things. So the first thing that God has granted us is this. In Jesus Christ, we have everything sufficient for this life. Did you catch that in verse 3? It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. I don't know about you, but there's days I don't feel like i got all things that I need spiritually. That's a lie. That's insecurity in who I am in Christ. Because when I come back to 2 Peter, I need to remember this fact. That God has granted to me all things that pertain to my spiritual life and health all things. There is not one thing that I do not have access to to make sure that I'm spiritually healthy. That is incredibly great news. Uh, So look at 2 Corinthians 9.8. I think it's a great verse to supplement this thought. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Whoa. Stop there for just a second. In Christ, you have all sufficiency. This is what it means. Everything that is necessary. There is nothing that you lack. Now, here's what's really cool about this word. That sufficiency means this. I don't have to go to external sources to provide for my sufficiency. In Christ... Everything is provided for me. The problem is, what do I tend to do? I tend to look to the external resources to try to rely on those things, unfortunately, rather than just simply relying on who I am in Christ. See, this is a great simple thought, but I want you to catch this. If God has provided for us all sufficiency in everything that we need uh, spiritually, here's what we have. We have proportioned, by Him everything that we need for our faith. There is nothing lacking. You need to think about that for a second. There is nothing lacking for your faith. There's nothing lacking for your spiritual health, for your spiritual maturity, for your sanctification, all the days of your life. Do we live like that? Though, Too many times I'm like, oh, this is so tough. This is so hard. There's so many things that are opposing me right now. There, there's people that just don't want me to be successful in ministry. There's people that want to challenge me. And I get frustrated. I feel like in days, unfortunately, Katie and I are kind of the, the, mostly on the tail end of our parenting years because Christian and Rebecca are, are reaching young adulthood. Now, is still there and she's our favorite child. You can pay me the $100 later. <laughs> We have an ongoing competition about who the favorite child is. They're all our favorites. Julia thinks that I don't talk about her enough from the pulpit, so I'm going to talk more about you, and maybe you'll feel like you're the favorite child, right? Have I embarrassed you sufficiently yet? She doesn't get embarrassed easily. (laughs) So... When we are parenting, though, my point is, when we were young in parenting, we felt like we had a lot more challenges. Now I feel like we're kind of coming to age, and and those moments are not as pressing on us. But I remember when we were parenting our kids and they were young, we felt like we didn't have the answers. And the truth is... God is all sufficient, even in the midst of those things. We just needed to be in his word more faithfully, understanding those things, growing in knowledge, and being sanctified ourselves. Because sometimes, and parents, you guys get this, sometimes our children show us where our weaknesses are. And God uses them to sanctify us too. And we need that. We need that. So in all those things, though, here's the thing. God is sufficient. Now, how does he prove his sufficiency? Because I think this is such a cool statement. Get this. Look back at 2 Peter. Verse 4 in particular. It says that by which he has granted us. So he's called us to his own glory and excellence. And and he's granted us this divine power for all things. And he's done this by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. Now here, listen. Listen. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. My goodness. It's not just that Christ models these things for us. It's that our nature, that old sinful nature, which Ephesians 2 says was dead in trespasses and sins in which we used to walk. And we were by nature children of wrath. But because of God's great mercy and because of His grace, now we are what? Partakers of the divine nature. That old nature is being changed radically into the nature and image of Christ. Could there be any greater promise or point for us to be secure in than that? I don't know when the last time you stopped and thought about it was, but the fact that you can be a partaker of the divine nature is an incredible promise to hang on to So that we're in the midst of struggles, when we feel like we're being overwhelmed by storms of life and all the troubles uh, that it brings. And the the thing that we need to cling on to is God is divine. He's granted us all things that pertain to godliness, and we are partakers of the divine nature. We don't have to live in an insufficient perspective anymore. We need to take on the understanding that in all things, God is sufficiently providing for us everything in the spiritual realm. And we have every right to operate that way. But the enemy, he comes in and says, you can't do it. He he wants to undermine all that God is doing with lies and deceit and cause us to doubt and struggle. So all we have to do is come back to these truths and recognize this promise. Look at Colossians 3.3. I love this. Well, actually, let's go back and read verses 1 through 3. They may not be on the screen, but it says this in Colossians 3.1. If, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where are we? Where is our sufficiency? It is in the person of Christ in whom we are hidden in God. Could there be any greater truth? So when we're singing, now go back to worship for just a second. When we're singing these things about us being children of God and what we possess as the children of God, as co-heirs with Christ, could there be any greater reason to celebrate? I don't think so. I, I think it is the culmination of the truth that we are redeemed and we're set apart and Christ's nature is being worked in us. Freedom. Freedom. That's why we ought to celebrate that freedom. Because sin no longer has a hold on us. We have died to it and we are walking now in a new nature in Christ. Freedom. Freedom. So, being hidden in Christ, what are we called to do? Look at Second Peter again. In verse 5 and following, we'll read a little bit of this, okay? So he says in verse 5, for this very reason. So, so here's the idea. Since all these things about us being partakers of the divine nature, that God has granted us all things in him, there is a reason that we act. There's a reason that we respond. And what is that? Uh, response. So that's what we're going to look at now. So we, first of all, need to, for this reason, and we'll keep reading, make every effort to supplement your faith. So what is that idea, make every effort? This is interesting. It's the idea that business needs to be done immediately. Make every effort. It means don't waste any time. Take care of this immediately. But I can't tell you how often I hear people say to me, I just wish that I had done this earlier. I wish that I had taken this step prior to experiencing this trouble. Because what is our tendency? Our tendency is, can I pick on you, Christian? Did he say no? Christian, his freshman year, he tweeted this. And my dad saw the tweet. And he's like, what is he saying? Put the pro in procrastination. That's what Christian tweeted. I put the pro in procrastination. I was like, I oh, don't know. That's all of our tendency though, isn't it? We, we don't take care of things immediately. We think if we have time, we can just wait. We can just delay. That's not what God's calling us to do. He says, if this is who we are, we need to make every effort. Do this immediately because the, the benefit of it is tremendous. So why wait? But what's our tendency? To wait. We think, well, we got years left we we got time. We we can apply godliness later. Because right now, I really want to have a little bit more fun. Guys, I'm going to tell you, fun apart from God is not really fun. It's going to lead to uh, undesirable consequences. Fun with the Lord, it will lead to good consequences. Because Galatians 6 tells us that we reap what we sow. And if we sow righteousness, then we're going to what? Reap righteousness in the fruit of it. If we sow to sin, we're going to reap the consequences of sin and selfish living. So don't wait to make every effort. Do it immediately. And what is the effort towards? Well, look, what does he say? He says we will make every effort to supplement. So we need to be people that live supplementally. Supplementally living supplemental living title okay so make every effort do this quickly immediately and supplement now what's the idea of supplement let me let me give you this this is a really cool term very very descriptive okay juliana you'll really appreciate this okay this was actually the idea of a dance leader okay supplying all the things necessary for the dance to be fluid and meaningful Now, watching Juliana in dance the last couple years as she's really gotten involved in um, company dance and and like more of a competitive level, it's interesting how costume choice and music selection and choreography all go hand in hand. And I'm novice in all that stuff. I, I, I don't get it, but I can start to see how the fluidity and the meaning of those things really fit hand in hand. And, and that's what the idea of supplemental living is, is that there would be a fluidity and meaningfulness to how we live. And that's kind of the Koine Greek, Bible time Greek. Now, let me give you a little bit more of this from the ancient Greek use of this word. The ancient Greeks, when and you think about, um, uh, oh, goodness, his name escaped me, but the plays, they would come and do the plays, and so what the idea was is who was supplementing the play was the one who made sure that all of the costumes were provided for, all of the training for the, uh, the, the troop itself was met. They were a donor who was lavish in their donations, making sure that there was no need for that play to be pulled off rightly. Now, think about this in the call for us to make every effort to supplement our faith? Are we living lavish lives? Making sure that the fluidity and meaning of our life in relationship to the Lord is done with in abundance on our part. See, it's not that we do anything to add to our salvation, but once we are saved, our life is a response to the grace of God in every way. And we are called to that kind of lavish lifestyle where we say everything that I can do to pour into my spiritual life is going to be, make me more effective, more blessed, more satisfied because God is already doing these things to satisfy me. So it's a uh, continued response. But again, I go back to this. How many of us delay our response and how many of us live on a shoestring spiritual investment budget. We like think, oh, I'll just do enough to get by. I'll just do the little things here and there on a, a Sunday to make sure that, that that's a spiritual aspect of my life. But when we go through the rest of our week, everything spiritual is shelved. We, we don't put any effort into it. We, we just live in almost a denial of where we are in faith. That's not how God calls us to be. He wants us to be lavish in our response to him. That that all of our thoughts, all of our deeds, all of our actions, all of our attitudes would be reflecting what we have in the divine nature that is who we are partaking of. Does that make sense? Now, let me go back to this. Think about Peter writing this letter to the church, trying to communicate these things because there's those that are about to try to take them away from their relationship with Christ. You see how he's appealing? In that sense, the context is so important. And folks, let me say this. Peter's world is no different than ours. People are trying to steal the joy of our faith all the time. And and I don't think it's people necessarily. I think the enemy uses people. But we are fighting this same fight. And that's why it's so important for us to supplement our faith. Now, let's consider this idea of faith. You guys understand this. I often talk about this. Our faith is not about what I can muster up. Faith is about the object Jesus. That's why even if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. Because faith is about Christ, it's not about me. So it's it's about how we supplement even that little bit. Does that make sense? So even if you just have a minuscule amount of faith, it's faith. Go after it. Go after the supplementing of it. And this is what Peter then says. He says, so what we need to do is we need to supplement our faith with these things, with virtue. Let's let's read this again in the text. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So what is virtue? Virtue is the idea of moral excellence. Um, we we just watched uh, Incredibles two. How many of you guys have seen that already? Okay, can can I pick a little bit? Were y'all as disappointed by the use of foul language in Incredibles two as as my family was? I just was like, why are cartoons cussing? I just there's no need for that, and. What it did is it stripped away a little bit of the moral excellence in that moment. Does that make sense? Because it's like, it's just not necessary. It, it diminishes their character in my perspective. And, and it, it, it just grieved us. And we, we actually spent a, a lot of time talking about that on the exit of the movie. And, and just surprised. Here's the idea. Virtue is that moral excellence that sets the heroes above. How are we living out our lives in moral excellence? Are we heroic in our faith, or, or do we compromise like that, like what they did in Incredibles 2? To me, it compromised the heroism of the, moment, of the movie. But how many times do I compromise my own moral excellence with attitudes and things that I do? And, and so we need to hold that mirror up, and we need to go, no, this is part of my responsibility pursuit I want to live a life of moral excellence so that Christ is pleasing. And as I live in that moral excellence, that adds to my faith. It increases because it's supplementing, it's strengthening my faith. Next, look at the second part of verse 5, or the last little phrase. And add to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge refers to the divine truth that is the foundation of, Of spiritual discernment and wisdom. I think that's a great statement. It's the foundational truth that helps us understand spiritual or gain spiritual discernment and wisdom. It's not just head knowledge, it's practical knowledge that says when you run into these kind of circumstances or situations, you have discernment and understanding and wisdom to apply biblical truth to those things. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest challenges to me is to have truth, but then to rightly apply it. <laughs> There's so many times I can have the truth and then misapply it. That's not really healthy. And, and so the challenge is how do we know the truth and apply it rightly? And, and I'm going to encourage you with this. In order to accomplish that, you've got to be in the Word experiencing uh, or, or studying the truth. So that when the Holy Spirit brings those truths to mind, that's how you rightly apply the discernment and wisdom. And if you don't have the word hidden in your heart, the the problem is you're not going to have spiritual discernment and wisdom. That's why even this week I challenged the students, they were already being challenged by it, um, that were at camp, to memorize scripture. But I'm like, this is the real issue. Is if, if we think we've got the truth but we don't know where to go and we just shelf our Bibles and don't respond and don't have the truth hidden in our heart, we can't walk in spiritual truth and discernment and wisdom. We've got to be people of the word. So can I encourage you, be faithful in your study of the, the word and the scriptures so that you can apply that discernment and wisdom. To knowledge, look at verse 6. And knowledge you add with self-control. This is a pretty simple term, but it was used to describe athletes who would abstain from rich food, wine, and activities of an intimate nature in order to focus all their strength and attention on their training regimen. Are we being Self-controlled, spiritually disciplined, investing in our maturation and sanctification. That's the call. Look at verse, continue reading in verse 6. Add to self-control with steadfastness or perseverance. This focuses on endurance, and get this, in doing what is right. I think a lot of times we think, oh, we can, we're, we're enduring the suffering, And we focus on that kind of martyrdom feeling that we can often get because life can get hard and come against us as Christians. But here's the call, the real call of this in in perseverance and endurance is that we would continue to do what is right. It means that we're not compromising in a world that constantly asks us to compromise. That's a hard place to be. But that's the call. And if we'll supplement our faith with that, we'll be healthier. Then we see that we add to steadfastness, godliness. This simply, I mean a simple term, it just means reverence for God. But here's the idea behind just being simple. It's that we would specifically emphasize and participate in the rituals and aspects of worship that glorify God and enhance one's relationship. Now here's where I go, I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all know that phrase, right? Okay, so students, y'all get that phrase? Kids, y'all get that phrase? No, okay. Eli, I'm going to help you out, man, and you're not the only one, okay? Preaching to the choir, you guys know in a traditional church, like old old, uh, traditional formats, behind the pastor, they would have the choir sitting up there. And so at times, the choir is like always there present with the church and worship, and then the congregation will consistently Change is kind of the idea. So when you're preaching to the choir, you turn around talking to those that are always there, part of the leadership. So that's, is that, is that cool, Frank, Jennifer? Are you okay with that explanation? Okay, Eli, did you get that? So it's preaching to those that are always there. So I know you guys are always here. So a little bit of preaching to the choir right now, okay? That you guys are here participating in the rituals and the, the aspects of worship that we have ongoing. The problem is, there are many in our church uh, and let me try to not put it in our church realm as far as the Grove, but there are many in the church community today outside of just local bodies that don't participate. And, and I can't remember the statistics for sure right now, but it's, uh, I think it's about 40% of Robertson County is in wor- worship on any given Sunday. You think about that number for just a second. If only 40% or 45% of our county is in worship, what does that say about the struggle that the local church is facing? And people claim Christ. I think it's like something like 65 to 70% of our county claims a relationship with Christ. But we're missing out that consistency. And I share this verse, and I'm, I'm going to have you turn to it because it's not on the screen. But turn over to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I shared this with the students this week. This is such a convicting passage of Scripture to me. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 the writer of Hebrews is, is talking to the church and trying to encourage them. And he says uh, in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now listen to this, not neglecting, the meet, uh, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So, so what's going on? The writer of Hebrews is saying people are neglecting to meet together. That, that's not healthy. We don't need to, to do that. He says, but listen, um, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, so here's the, the convicting point, is where we are in church history, every day that Christ doesn't return, we're still one more day closer to his return. So the day is drawing more and more near. And what we need to be doing is encouraging one another all the more to meet together because it, we're desperate to meet together and be encouraged. And we're the body. And this is not simply about Matt being up here as the talking head. Okay? I feel like that sometimes. It's about you being the body together, speaking to one another, encouraging one another by sharing spiritual songs and hymns and scripture. Not, not just me with y'all. But it would be the body life coming together in small groups and being part of the ministry To be ministering to one another with gifts of mercy, through ministries of mercy. And and the list of things could go on and on, but it's us being that body together. We are called to that to supplement our faith with godliness. And then the last two brotherly affection is added to godliness and love. This is a, a real. I think, interesting phrase, because you have brotherly affection, which is the idea of phileo, that brotherly love. We get the idea of Philadelphia from that. And then the love is the word agape. So brotherly love is this idea that there is a a family concept. So I think it's interesting that Peter's saying godliness with brotherly love, so it's in that family relationship. It's just thunder. Don't worry about it. Um, family, and now it's, now it's thunder and rain, so don't worry about it. I won't scream in the mic, I promise. I've done that before. I've learned my lesson. Didn't I, Debbie? I think. Yes, thanks for affirming me this morning. So with uh, with the, the, the idea of um, godliness, that we need relationships, brotherly love is the familial side of that, where we as a family come together and exercise that brotherly love, and then it's with an agape love that's not selfish, but it's self-sacrificing towards one another. Now look over at Romans 13. This, This last week, the Lord just really spoke to me about this passage of scripture again as I was praying through some stuff, and it's such an incredible passage. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. says Paul's writing to the church in Rome he says oh no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself verse 10 love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law so, I, I got the opportunity to talk to the, the youth, uh, high school students this last week at camp about the old covenant being a promise that was going to be fulfilled in Jesus, that establishes a new covenant in Jesus with a new command. What is the new command? To love one another. That's what we read right there in Romans 13. That, and that new command, love, fulfills all the old law because Christ loved us. And since we are in Christ, we love. Because he's making us new, and we have that divine nature. So as we love well, the fulfilling of the law is accomplished. Isn't that great truth? I promise I'm still not going to yell. Billy's going to take care of things. I love the rain on the roof. I feel like I'm tin roof, right? Um, So when you think about the idea and the command to love, what we need is to be that kind of self-sacrificing, loving uh, of one another because we're fulfilling who Christ is in us. So you could say the greatest command is love and we work it all the way back into where does it begin in a faith relationship with Christ. Hey guys, you guys did so good to run and take care of that yourselves. Y'all are trying to be so careful. You could have waited. That was really kind. Knox you are even getting up and helping. That's awesome, man. Thanks for serving your friends. There's a great example of brotherly love, right? I'm serious, right? And y'all are like not worried about it as parents. Y'all are just going, we're going to kill them later. <laughs> and that leads me to my next point. <laughs> you think I'm joking? Let's look at 2 Peter again. Here's the idea though. So we got this great plan to live supplementally, do all these things. And then look, look at verse 11. Um, no, no, that actually, back to, to let's, let's read verses 8 and following. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would guess that every one of you here is here today because you want to be fruitful in your relationship with Christ. Peter just gave us the plan, okay? Follow his plan and be fruitful. Now, let's keep reading. Keep reading. He says in verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. A couple, probably eight, nine years ago, right when I turned like 41, 42, um, my eyes started going bad. And, and I've always struggled with my vision since about seventh, eighth grade. But it got to be so bad, I couldn't read my Bible in the pulpit. So, and before that, I'd always word contacts, and then I was doing some worship leading at the same time. And so when my contacts ran, I couldn't read the screen, I mean, the, the like the lyric sheet or my Bible, and I couldn't get it far enough away. And it was really, really frustrating. So I could take my glasses off, and I could read it fine, because I, I'm... Good, so but it's just that old eye syndrome that many of us have, and and so now my glasses are progressive lenses, so I see far up here and I read down here. It's so fun, Um, you know, and it's it's great, especially when you're playing soccer and stuff that your glasses get in the way. But it's like I, I I would, I wouldn't be able to read the players' cards and stuff, so I just have to keep my glasses on. And here's my point. I see a lot of people doing this. We get it, right? And y'all will be there one day, Gage. Be careful. Don't laugh at me, okay? When you get nearsighted, it's dangerous. Everything else out there, it, it doesn't make any sense. If I took my glasses off, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell y'all probably who you were, okay? It's that bad. That's Peter's point. If we don't live this way, we get so nearsighted that we can't really deal with what's coming down the road, We need to put these things in place so things get clear, that that things make sense from afar and and we live rightly in relationship with the Lord. If we don't do that, we endanger ourselves. Now, kids especially, I'm going to come back to this. Here's the thing. Look at verses 11 and following. For in this way, There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Twice, and actually there's a third time over later in in 2 Peter, that, that Peter uses this word, remind. Here's what's interesting. Now, having parented for 20 plus years now, three children, All of you parents in here are going to get this. There are a number of times that I remind my kids to do certain things. And the number of times that I've reminded them to do certain things is typically not for my health. Whose health is it for? Theirs. So, kids, like I can remind you, keep the lid on your drink so you don't spill it in the worship service. (laughs) Right? And I'm just teasing. Okay? It's okay. You guys have done a great job handling all that this morning. kids. Take the trash out so it doesn't stink. Kids, wash your clothes so you have something clean to wear. Kids, put your, your clothes in the drawer so you know what's clean and what's dirty and so you don't pull out smelly clothes. Kids, make sure you don't leave your bike out in the rain or behind the car because it will get run over potentially or rust when it's left out in the rain. Do I need to keep going? Kids, kids, remember to brush your teeth. Yeah, uh, morning and night at least. That way you don't have to have your teeth replaced with false things later, right? So you can keep them in your head for most of your life. There's all these things that we do. And and kids, I really want you to hear me this morning. Your parents, when they remind you of stuff, it's really because they love you. And here's the thing. Your parents will tell you this. They need reminding too. They need reminding all the time, especially the older we get the more we probably need reminding. But how we do that is very, very uh, gentle and careful. And so what we want to do is remember that. Now here's the interesting thing about this word remind. The, the word is a compound word. The word upo is at the front of that. And that just means someone outside of self. So the the, the idea is that Peter's saying, I'm outside of you. I'm going to encourage you. The, the word um, the other part of the word, the root word, is the word, we get the, the word mnemonic, like a mnemonic device that is to help us remember, okay? So we all need somebody outside of us reminding us of these truths. So can I tell you honestly, there's so many times I think, oh man, we've shared this stuff before. I, I've taught this before. I know people have read these passages before. But I have learned that just as Peter said, we need reminding we need reminding. And don't come in here on a Sunday or don't think about your spiritual life and say, oh, I've heard that before. Every one of us needs the reminding. Don't forget these things. I think that's why God has so graciously given us his written word that we still have access to. here's the challenge and I'm going to go back to an earlier point. If we don't have the word of God memorized, I am convinced that there's going to be a day in American culture where we will not worship freely and we won't have access to the scriptures freely and only what we can retain in our memories is going to be how we share and encourage uh, one another in the word. And we've got to be people who memorize the word of God. How will we remind and encourage if we don't have it? So can we be people that invest in that?